0: Today we're going to conclude Law of One, Session 103. This was received June 10, 1983. And as I noted, it was uh, three months after the last Session 102, which was in March, so March, April, May, June, and Session 104. After that is the end of July, so it's um, nearly a month and a half after. So they were um, going through a lot of personal challenges and still the issue of moving from the current house where they were was in play. In session 103, we finished at 103.9. Don continuing to ask Ra, what can we do for Carla? She was in pain flares. Uh, Dawn's mental condition was um, somewhat uh, deteriorating or uh, he had a hard time making decisions Carla had said he became a little bit more emotional uh, and raw the co- the questions Don keeps asking car uh, raw about Carla <clears throat> get to a point actually at 1039 where raw says uh, we've come up against the full stop of free will meaning, they don't want to infringe on anyone's free will or hers by giving more information, they actually have given a lot of information Uh, and two critical um, responses um, in terms of guidance and um, little clues to what kind of change is needed were given in 103.7, 103.8 particularly 103.7 raw not explaining or, or indicating that what can be done to help Carla, help her energy, that it's already been covered many times. And they explain it by saying, we've outlined the path the instrument may take in thought. And uh, thought, <laughs> I mean, thought is the uh, engine of self-transformation. Uh, thought is the way um, the way that deep self-healing, self-understanding, self-transformation occurs and any kind of um, apparent or s- sense of anti-intellectualism that seems to be taking hold in certain New Age or spiritual communities where feeling is elevated over thought um, runs the risk of um, people being unable to understand the process by which healing happens the process by which self-transformation occurs, and weakening their capacity for rational thought. And a rational thought, or clear thought, or logical thinking, or seeing things and interpreting them clearly, not just according to my feeling. It's good to know your feeling. It's good to have feeling. Feeling is very heartful, potentially. It may also be totally distorted, or distorted, or a emotional charge <coughs> feeling, based on distorted misunderstandings like uh, I feel so hurt when you say that you say oh you know <laughs> you ask me do I love you and I say no I don't I like you I care about you but I don't I'm not in love with you and she says oh you hurt me so much my feeling is so terrible now well <clears throat> okay it's it's sad that somebody feels hurt it's I don't want to hurt anybody and we don't want to hurt people. I mean, sometimes we might feel we want to punish, but other than that, if we're good-hearted or we have goodwill or we're in goodwill, we don't want to hurt somebody, people feel hurt. Well, if you don't bring rational thought to your process, you won't discover if indeed there may be distorted misinterpretation or misinterpretation and distorted Opinion, core beliefs associated with the generation of that painful thought or painful feeling, like "I'm so hurt, you've hurt me so much." Did the person hurt you so much, or did you just feel so much hurt? Why do you feel so much hurt? Well, this is you know, self self therapy. Uh, looking at <clears throat> the causes of feelings uh, requires a path and thought. What is a path and thought? The path the instrument Carla may take in thought is the path to deeper self-understanding, or self-acceptance, or understanding the nature of the, ca- uh, the causes of the problem, like in this case physical problems, or low energy levels, and all sorts of things. The path in thought is the path from confused emotionalism to clear self-understanding. And a clear um, understanding of the value system I'm working by, and to what degree it's distorted. It's clear thought, path, and thought is is it's the way. And so, in the end, of course, of obviously, thought is illusory, um, impermanent, insubstantial. Anicca, dukkha Of course, the three marks apply to feeling and thought. Nevertheless, um, clear thinking is the basis of the positive path <laughs> and it doesn't mean having to think all the time oh somebody needs to mute okay okay can you mute there okay thanks um it's it's um I mean, it just, it just struck me recently how important thought really is. <laughs> so, um, this is, it's, it's certainly underappreciated in many spiritual communities, the importance of thought. And I don't want to get into this. I could, I could do an hour just talking about the importance of clear thought, thinking, thinking clearly. Uh, but we have to go on. 103.8 also covered last time um, a very pith teaching, core teaching for Karla or anyone um, with attachment or any time we are in attachment to the way of the martyr, which in general is a love of a wisdom position, meaning with greater wisdom one would not choose martyrdom. However, um, there there probably is a wise martyrdom in certain cases. And so, it's complicated. Ra explains at 103.8 exactly what the path in thought for Carla's healing is, actually, I'd say, which is a journey from worth in action to worth in S, -S -S E-S-S-E, in essence. How do we value ourselves? How do what is the basis of self-value? Well, everyone's unique, and it changes over time, and it's complicated, and it's subtle, and it's deep, and it's not not easy to discover. Um, there's a difference between basing our self-worth on action or performance, which really means success and failure in the physical material world, and basing it uh, in S, basing worth in S, as Ross said, self is a being of infinite worth. So infinite worth, natural um, to uh, true nature, or intrinsic, inherent in true nature. It's a very big deal, actually. People don't understand this. We can read the words, but the implications um, are critical and much more difficult to to kind of uh, discern when we're upset about most anything, in many cases, not all, but in many cases, emotional charge based or or triggered by relationship or interaction with another often, not always, but often is associated with some kind of wounding to our self-worth, self-image. The sense that uh, I can't be well or um, the way what you're saying what you're doing um, demands some kind of sense there's a sense that it's right that I'm upset and that's not quite so because one can uh, recognize a problem without getting upset one can address a problem without emotionality but anyway um, this type of martyrdom, this sort of martyrdom, Raw explains in 103.8 three um, eight, which was in, which was associated with Carla's decision to give up buying clothes for herself for a year. Um, Raw considers good a good work, right? Some kind of breaking attachment, I guess, is is generally a good thing, but depending on how it's done. So good works for the wrong reasons cause confusion and distortion, and that's similar to you know. The analogy: when the snake drinks water, it turns to poison. So this is all very important and, and relevant to personal process, actually, <clears throat> because we may do something that we think is good, and indeed it may be good, but we have unrecognized, confused motivation. Like I'm going to, um, you know, want. I'm I'm going to stop myself from doing this or that. Um, because I shouldn't want those things. Or, what would Jesus do? Well, if I was an enlightened person, I certainly wouldn't be doing these things. Okay, so I'll just stop it. But, um, it may well feed some unrecognized um, distorted core beliefs. And also, the sense that I'm going to feel better about myself by the quality of my action. Versus know my own worth as a being um, is a problematic in the long run. And so anyway, it gets very very complicated, but all of this <coughs> is theory associated with self-healing. And so um, taking stock of our self-worth, how, it, how, in, how do we feel about ourselves and how do we base our sense of self-worth or value um, and to what extent are we doing what we really believe in, is truly good for us, and we know indeed it is good for us, in a, in a very quiet mind, simple uh, recognition of truth, rather than forcing uh, or believing what we want to believe, <laughs> rather than believing what's true. So anyway, it's all very deep, and yes, I will go on. Uh, 103.10, the new material gets us back to the Tarot, and it's the focus on Great Way of Mind. Don says in that case, meaning in case that there's nothing more rock can say uh, to help Carla, I have a few questions on card 7 in order to fin- uh, finish off the, or our first run through of the archetypes of the mind. <clears throat> and there is a T, like a T-shaped uh, with a two, with Two right-angled above it, on the chest of the entity in card seven, we have guessed that the lower T, meaning there's two Ts, I guess, the lower T shape uh, has to do with the possibility of choosing either path in the transformation, and the upper two angles representing the great way of the left or the right-hand path in a mental transformation that makes the the change from space-time to time-space. You might say. This is difficult to express. Are we? Is there anything correct in this guess? Ross says, yep. <clears throat> so, um, looking at this card seven, Great Way of Mind, we see a, a character very much akin to card five, the Pope, or a Hierophant, uh, <clears throat> inside a rectangular box Uh, frame, structure. In this case, you've got two sphinxes on the bottom. I don't see the bottom T, but on the chest of the character, on the card that was their final version, there's something like an upside-down Tau or T on the chest in the zone, actually, of second, third, fourth chakra of the entity holding a sphere in the right hand and a sword in the left. Very similar to the uh, As Above, So Below, also in a certain way, where one, the right arm goes up and the left goes down. But um, the, the, the iconography shows a lot of polarity, obviously. The two columns to the right and the left, the two figures to the right and the left, um, the two arms in a, in a kind of polarized, um, up-down, left-right position gesture, What's going on here? And what about that T? 103.11 Ross says the use of the Tau, which is, happens to be the 19th letter of the Greek alphabet, and in heraldry, a type of cross called a Tau cross. It's basically T. The use of the Tau and the architect square is indeed intended to suggest the proximity of the space time of the Great Way's environment to time space. We find this observation most perceptive. It really is, actually. The entire mood, shall we say, of the great way, or that card, is indeed dependent upon its notable difference from the significator. Right, card five. The significator is the significant self, to a great extent, but not entirely influenced by the lowering of the veil. The great way of the mind, the body, or the spirit, which is card 7, 14, 21, draws the environment, which has been the new architecture caused by the veiling process, and thus dipped in the great, limitless current of time-space. So, yes, there's a close relation to cards 5 and 7 in all the series, cycles, Mind, Body, and Spirit. So, 5 and 7, 12 and 14, 19 and 21. Uh... It's dependent on a notable difference um, associated with the process of lowering the veil, which really means polarization, uh, which really means a movement from space-time to time-space, or an expansion of consciousness from space-time only to space-time combined with time-space, the physical and the metaphysical, Raw saying the physical and the metaphysical are inseparable. That's a key principle of the law of one, or unity, is that the physical and the non-physical is one one sphere, is one world, is one field of life. Then, we can say that, the, that below the diaphragm associates with, time, with space-time, above the diaphragm moves us out of space-time into the realms associated with time-space. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, chakras dimensions begins with the non-physical astral plane and <clears throat> the movement from five to seven is is I would say the um, the utilization I mean I'm just uh, I'm, I'm just opining the utilization of the uh, efficiently used catalyst fed significator efficient use of catalyst right? matrix, and potentiator, particularly of mind, using catalyst increasingly more efficiently or more associated with love and light, meaning fourth and fifth and sixth chakra activation. Fourth and fifth and sixth chakra are more in play in the way we meet catalyst and fashion experience, the way we make decisions, or the quality of our decisions. As that happens, the significator is fed, in a sense... Um, the significator as significant self, um, to a great extent, as Russ said, influenced by lowering of the veil. The lowering of the veil, in in chakra terms, means um, unblocking the lower triad and activating, particularly the upper three, uh, blue, green, blue indigo. So, more developing love, wisdom, and awareness, or you know, unitive awareness. Of physical, metaphysical, or unity or reality, not only physical phenomena. As those chakras are more activated, um, we can say we're living with lower, with lowered veil, or penetrating the veil. That I would say feeds the significator. Um, meanwhile, the Great Way position or nodal position of uh, 71421. Um, Raw says draws the environment, which has been, or which I would say seems to become. Why Raw puts it in the past tense is funny. It draws the environment, or reveal the iconography reveals the new environment of body, mind, spirit um, by a well-fed significator, particularly significator of mind, because significator of body, a significator of spirit, or those cycles of body-spirit are basically comprehended by mind. <laughs> the transformation of body, the transformation of spirit is experienced by mind. And so uh, the the evolution of body, evolution of spirit and body is not just physical, you know, it's also energy fields associated with physicality. The transformation of body-spirit is led by mind, experienced by mind, known by mind, m- directed by mind, and feeds the significator of mind, (laughs) five. And then, the result of that, uh, I would say, is the drawing of a new environment, a new architecture. And it's um, the, the new architecture caused by the veiling process are associated with the veiling process, but also associated with the increasing unveiling. And that increasing unveiling is um, increasingly tasting time-space, this dipped in the great limitless current of time-space rather poetic. The You can say current, you can say field. The the field, you know, the wave and the particle is one. And so an energy field is an energy particle or particles and waves. You know, they're two different ways of experiencing the same life. <coughs> Photonic energy, intelligent energy. So you can say there's a current or a field of time-space, and <clears throat> this is, again, just showing the, in, in many ways the, the transformation of true mind or body or spirit um, being the transit from cards 5 to 7, it seems to me, and the tau being... Um, the fact that, that there are two... Uh, two is as one. The, the two of physical, metaphysical, or lower, upper becoming as one. 103.12, Don says, I'm guessing that the wheels on this chariot indicate the ability of the mind to be able now to move in time-space, is it correct? <clears throat> and in the version that they ended up with here, card 7, they're not wheels, they're actually two sphinxes, and that probably is much more authentic or or true to the original. Raw explains about these two wheels, saying 103.12, We cannot say that the observation is totally incorrect, for there is as much work in time-space as the individual who evokes this complex of concepts has assimilated. However, it would be more appropriate to draw the attention to the fact that although the chariot is wheeled, it is not harnessed to that which which draws it by a physical or visible harness. What then, O student, links and harnesses the chariot's power of movement to the chariot? <clears throat> meaning harnesses the char- the chariot um, to the hands or the mind or the will of the charioteer the charioteer um, which is one re- one of the common um, you know titlings of card seven, is um, the significator of mind or the true self or the true mind or the true being increasingly um, as you know what's the difference between significator of mind and higher self? Well, increasingly, I would say significator of mind um, resonates the mind of higher self or the will of higher self. Certainly the intentions and the um, desire of higher self is more and more um, the mind or the intentions of the conscious mind. And so then it becomes, you know, you don't have to say, I'm calling my higher self. You're just say, I'm calling truth, <laughs> You don't have to go up to your higher self. Your higher self is the real you. And so, are you living from the real you, or are you living from um, lower triad blockage? You know, is self is wisdom accessed with much or little lower triad blockage? That's the question. Um, when, when there's l- less lower triad blockage, wisdom, uh, fifth ray, working, is accessed without much interference which leads to knowing the mind of higher self, or knowing, example, the purpose of program catalyst, or the best use of uh, situations, how to handle things. All sorts of answers come naturally. So, the person who has assimilated this complex of concepts, meaning done the work, particularly the cycle of mind, uh, does as much work in time space as they can, and that's called magical work, although You know, Radiatory Love Light is a kind of work in time-space, but there's a difference, and uh, you know, not everybody who is significantly clear in the lower triad is doing white magic, or um, anything deliberately working in time-space, but people also are doing more than they're they're aware of, like at night, so it's all very complicated. Roz uh, turning Don's attention to the harnessing of the vehicle, The vehicle actually could be seen as body. You can say that the whole body, mind, spirit complex is a vehicle too. You can say that the triadic self in the the octave, right? mind, body, spirit, complex, higher self, and its seventh density resource or um, guidance, that triadic selfhood is itself a vehicle. So what is the vehicle being drawn by who? So (laughs) the octave is God's vehicle. The self, the triadic octave self is the vehicle of the Logos as well. So, structure and function, uh, both are vehicular to the Logos. The structure being cosmic structure of dimensions, physical, -physical. non-physical. Cosmic function being the evolution of soul, or mind-body-spirit complex, higher self, and seventh density totality. Um, Does the function in the structure of cosmic plan, of the seven dimensional octaves. That all is um, the vehicle uh, of the logos. <laughs> so, what then links, harnesses, or um, makes the connection between uh, the charioteer, the the agent, the selfhood, the cell, the beings' power of movement or mind and intention to that physical chariot? Well, <coughs> the link seems to be will or intention and the conscious mind one hundred three thirteen. don says i'll have to think about that one unless the i'll come back to that and he goes on we were thinking of replacing the sword in the right hand with the magical sphere and a downward scepter in the left hand which is what they did similar to card five significator as more appropriate for this card would ra comment on that please ross said this is quite acceptable especially if the sphere may be imagined imaged as spherical Yes, and effulgent meaning radiatory. So, yes, the version of card 7 shows right hand holding a radiant sphere upwards, left hand holding a purely, truly vertical sword downwards. Uh, Card 5, Significator, shows the same left hand sword held down vertically you know straight vertical to the ground left hand right hand however on the significator card is um, in a sort of single hand prayer gesture in the middle of the chest pretty much from uh, pretty much around the fourth chakra third fourth chakra zone and that transit from holding the right arm hand in the middle of the chest in a vertical position meaning Uh, kind of an up-down position of the palm in the area of the breastplate, the heart chakra, third, fourth chakra zone. Moving to card seven, where we see the right hand holding a radiant sphere upwards, um, is that expansion outwards and greater capacity to work in time-space and greater um, the, the integration, utilization, Expression of what's been fed to the significator. Like I said, take the show on the road. And there's, um, it, it fits very nicely, but it's good that they used the similar iconography to card five. They're obviously um, profoundly related. <coughs> and so Raw gave that guidance. They changed the card imagery. Uh, 103.14. Don goes further, the bent left leg of the two sphinxes indicates a transformation that occurs on the left that doesn't occur, or doesn't on the right, possibly an inability in that position to move, does this have any merit, and he's referring to (laughs) the physical posture, gesture of the two sphinxes at the bottom, the right, black, left, white, the right arm of those two is sort of facing outwards, sort of. The left arm or paw is bent, meaning, and looks like it's holding something, is sort of retracted. So there's, uh, <clears throat> you know, all everything is polarity, right? So it's all about the upward-downward path. <laughs> the whole of creation works on the polarity of intelligent energy, which could be called yin yang, or love-light. And so the polarity of head and torso, right and left, also the polarity of retraction um, expression, or held and given, Uh, arm withdrawn, retracted, arm extended, expressive. And so you see that with the sphinxes as well, the distinction between the right and the left arms, the left is held in, what's that about? It's a subtle observation, Ra explains one oh three fourteen. The observation has merit in that it may serve as the obverse of the connotation intended. The position is intended to show two items just a second. Is intended to show two items, one of which is the dual possibilities of the full time of the timeful characters there drawn. The resting resting is possible in time, (coughs) as is the progress. If a mixture is attempted, the upright, moving leg will be greatly hampered by the leg that is bent. The other meaning has to do with the same right angle. This is again of the left arms of the sphinxes on the bottom of this card 7. Right arm expressed, left arm contracted bent, left arms of each contracted at elbow. And this is why people don't get into a tarot. It's just the detail doesn't seem relevant or important to many people, and uh, I get that. But this is my job. So the other meaning has to do with the same right angle of that those sphinxes' left arms, with its architectural squareness, as the device as the device upon the breast of the actor, meaning the fellow in the in the carriage, in the chariot. Time-space is close in this concept complex, meaning card 7, or card seven Time-space is close in this concept complex, brought close due to the veiling process, and its efficaciousness in producing actors who wish to use the resources of the mind in order to evolve. <laughs> um, we are actors wishing to use the resources of the mind in order to evolve. That's called live, you know, life as path. So, time-space is close. Um, It's, it's, um, this whole thing about, because this whole notion of veiling is critical to the iconography of Cars 5 and 7, right? There's a veil above the head of each of the characters in 5 and 7, or at least in 7, and in 5, um, there's something above his head that, um, it's Sort of like an, uh, a curtain that hasn't been put down, but certainly this veiling is critical, and I, um, you know, see it very much as an, uh, the natural expression of, of the significator. The significator being a, um, the fed, the spiritualized complex mind, body, spirit, and the expression. Or the work of the spiritualized complex is card seven, great way, moving along. And that's why there were wheels originally. But um, the obverse of the connotation intended, obverse means the opposite or counterpart, um, the connotation intended um, wasn't actually moving. <laughs> movement like wheels. So it's it's all very complicated and may not be worth it for everyone. But the connotation of the wheels was actually wheels not moving. And Roz explaining the position of these two sphinxes intended to show two things, one of which, one of the two, is itself dual. One of the two is the dual possibilities of the timeful characters drawn, the two sphinxes, versus the wheels. There. are full of time. They're associated with time. And so time is associated with movement, and movement is associated with rest. So movement is a departure from rest. Rest is the the default condition from which movement arises. So movement and rest can be seen as a polarity. However, (laughs) um, is that really a polarity? Mm. So in terms of time, in terms of movement, there may be a rest from it Uh, when there's movement there's progress, of course (laughs) we may rest for a lifetime and that actually is progressive it's not movement of an external, it's an internal movement right, so there's (laughs) the polarity of mind versus body and the polarity of mind body versus spirit or the polarity of body versus mind spirit, okay, there are all these polarities here so, the body may be at rest, and mind may be in motion. <laughs> um, that's called fake meditation. And that's... <laughs> it, Buddhists have criticized this for thousands of years. Th- the one who's physically immobile or motionless still, physically, but the mind is spinning and running. That's not really uh, a goal of meditation. Over time, there are periods of resting and mo- motion... And in fact, from a higher level, because we're not just talking about outer um, outer progress, we're talking about inner progress and outer progress, um, there may be outer rest and inner development. There may be outer activity and little polarization, <laughs> little inner transformation. Anyway, for these two sphinxes, um, it's the temporal... The, the temporality of the great way, the temporality of the great way um, is that there's alternation between resting and movement. But in the case with these two sphinxes, there's a challenge because one one leg is upright and able to move and the other one is bent and not able to move. And um, what that... Why, what that's going on is, it's obviously there may be, you know, the, the the development of the great way of mind, or the relevant of the great way, particularly mind, but any great way card, I think, is associated with um, <clears throat> movement and rest, and um, the need to clearly distinguish them. And this is all, I think, about the expression of significator. So... Anyway, it's a complexity at a level many people don't care and I think it may get too pedantic here. But you can see that <coughs> everything has meaning in the iconography of these cards. Uh, and <coughs> even though the spiritual path um, you know, is primarily uh, done by reincarnation, um, they're inevitably... Is a, I would say, increasing. We need increasing familiarity with the cycles of rest and movement as we progress on the path through the incarnations. And so um, people ask me about solitude versus physical service. There may be lifetimes in which we're in solitude, there may be phases of a lifetime or this life when we're not much engaged with others, but we're more in solitude. And that may be an outer, uh, apparent outer um, resting, but there may well it may well be the basis for great inner movement, meaning transformation of mind spirit, and deep healing. So there's not only resting and movement. There's also the polarity of inner outer, and. Um, uh, certainly it's associated with wisdom fifth ray to know the cycles of time and to know it's okay now now i you know to move when you should move and rest when you should rest uh, and that's very uh, subtle <laughs> okay so uh, 10315 where are we with Mr. Time uh Don says, I'm assuming that the skirt is skewed to the left for the same reason that it is in card number four, indicating the distance, service to self, polarized entities, keep from others. I'm also assuming that the face is turned to the left for the same reason it is in card number five, because of the nature of catalyst, the fast the nature of, of the nature of catalyst. This is roughly correct. Carla was in pain. Ross said, please expel breath over the breast of the instrument. From right to left, which is to move out or to to bring to to uh, transmit love light to the left side field where the negatives do their work. This was done as directed. Ra said, "I am well," or "I am raw." This is well. That is well. And um, I guess there was a. I'm not sure what that was, and we'll see down down a little bit. Ra will explain what just happened there. He says, Ross says, your previous supposition is indeed roughly correct. Uh, the supposition that <coughs> the the skirt is skewed, uh, associated with the uh, the skirt. In in this case, the skirt, yeah, the physical skirt has a certain angle on the left side, while it's somewhat clear vertical on the right side. So it gets pretty detailed here. Now I don't know how that really has to do with. <coughs> The importance of this, but um, certainly positive and negatively developing or polarized entities are working with the same archetypal resources. uh, Meaning, the um, logoic um, uh, structure in the deep mind of these archetypes, concept complexes in 7771, um, is the same for all beings in 3D in this world. Some are positive, some are negative, and so there is some teaching for negatives or about the negatives uh, lacing through the discussion of the tarot and obviously the the negatives are you know the tarot has been significantly co-opted by negatives uh, through the centuries. So okay your supposition about the direction of the face and the skirt skew is roughly correct. Ra adds we might also note that we in forming the original images for your people's We're using the cultural commonplaces of artistic expression of those in Egypt. The face is drawn to the side most often, Uh, the face is drawn to the side, most often, meaning usually, as are the feet turned. We made use of this, and thus wish to soften the significance of the sidelong look. In no case thus far in these deliberations, however, has any misinterpretation or unsuitable interpretation been drawn, meaning done... May be overemphasizing the importance of what Ra's calling um, artistic uh, expression, cultural commonplaces. Uh, they're not they're not that important, but his interpretations are accurate too. Um, don't overestimate their importance, um, but his interpretations are accurate. And uh, we do see that in card seven, where the character has his face turned to his left. Why? Well, um, Ra's saying the same reason as card number five. And I, I'm not an expert on Tarot, so I forgot the reason that uh, card number five's face is turned to the left. But um, certainly, one needs to be careful <laughs> on the of of. Of um, depolarization when one's on the positive path, um, a wary eye, occasionally, to not negatives, negatives around us, you know, not not idiots around us, but actually, I mean, that's useful to see who's a liar and who's insincere, whose approach is insincere. See the one whose approach is insincere, and you'll know the one who's depolarized or negatively oriented. <coughs> Um, particularly, um, being sensitive to our own um, distortions that keep coming up that may lead us to be depolarized meaning further blocked in the lower triad, further not loving or controlling, or stuck in anger, sorrow, fear, self-pity, or um, confused and unwise, and taking the trivial for the essential or making a big deal of something that doesn't really deserve it, taking the transient as more important than it is, uh, getting stuck, um, being mistaken, being unconscious, not seeing, not being caught by our blind spots. Um, so looking to the left also means finding how we need to be careful so we don't uh, harm self and other by our uh, remaining distortions. Which are deep and subtle. That may be one of the reasons that these characters look to the left. But certainly, I think it's a useful teaching. All right. 103:16. The session is uh, winding down here. Don says our appropriate time for working right now, I believe, is close to a close. And I would like to ask that uh, ask for that is we the two times we had to expel breath. What is the problem? Or what is or why in this session do we have to do that when we didn't in most others? Even his question seems that he's kind of upset. Um, And that was, I guess, a reflection of his state of mind at this time um, as the contact was really in in the home stretch or the end times. Ra explains the instrument is unaware of the method used to contact Ra. However, meaning she doesn't know what we're doing. To, to, She doesn't really know how she's contacting Ra other than what she does. She doesn't know the metaphysics, our method, their method used in contacting Ra. However, its desire was particularly strong at the outset of this working for this working to transpire. Thus, it inadvertently was somewhat premature in its leaving of the yellow ray physical body. In this state, The object was dropped upon the instrument, which you call the tie-pin microphone. The unexpected contact caused injury of the chest muscles, and we would advise some care depending from this working to avoid stress so that this injury may heal. There is a metaphysical component to this injury, and therefore we wished to be quite sure that all portions of the environment were cleansed, since this place of working has not its usual level of protection, we used your breath to so cleanse the environment which was at risk. And um, the Don follows up, and I'll explain. And asks, is the reason for the u- for the lack of usual level of protection the fact that it has been a considerable time since we worked here, three months? No. So it isn't the time that led to a lack, an unprotected environment, or somewhat less protected. What was the reason? One o three eighteen. Raw explains the lack of regular repetition of the so-called banishing ritual is the lack of which we spoke. And Ra explains one o three nineteen that yes, it's most appropriate to date, appropriate to daily perform the banishing ritual in this room. It's acceptable or acceptable and appropriate to do it daily they hadn't been done it hadn't been repeating it regularly so they don't it's not that they had to be doing working to keep the protection but they had to be regularly performing the banishing ritual uh, in the room to keep the metaphysical parameters in the room of protection they hadn't thus the parameters were lost thus there was an issue <clears throat> so how subtle, <laughs> how subtle this is, you know. This is not fake channeling. This is real. This is not Carla imagining. This is really coming from another dimension. And um, <laughs> you know, whatever. <clears throat> it's very obvious to me, and it probably would be obvious to the people who are listening here, way up at 103.6, 103.16, uh, that this is for real. So simply by their inadvertent dropping of the little microphone on her chest. There was some very minor injury, probably associated with her premature leaving of her body. <clears throat> so this is very um, subtle and delicate metaphysics. Uh, she doesn't really know, Ra said, the instrument unaware of the method used to contact Raw." Mm-hmm meaning she's not really sure or there's something missing in her metaphysical understanding. But her desire was so strong at the beginning for this working to happen, because it had been three months, <clears throat> and and in some sense, somehow, she was somewhat premature in leaving the body. That then, I would imagine, caused a certain sensitivity of the body or musculature to contact. And that's true. Um, sometimes people have a falling dream Because they really were out of body, and there is some kind of physical sensation or contact made by something in the bed, let's say, to the physical body, which was in trance, or had the ectoplasm or some uh, aspect of um, astral and um, quasi-physical energy fields expanded outside the physical by the out-of-body action leaving the body, Uh, and one (coughs) uh, has the experience of falling and waking up with a shock. The falling is falling back to your body. It's consciousness and that energy field, those energy fields internalizing, interiorizing again, interiorization of these previously expanded or projected energy fields associated with out-of-body experience. Uh, this interiorization done, um, rapidly, suddenly, abruptly, can be associated with a falling dream or certain kinds of dreams. It can also, I guess, um, be associated with, um, a certain sensitivity of that body. And that's also a subtle point. There are all sorts of, one could wake up with certain aches and pains in the body, uh, because one had been out of body doing work, and either something touched the physical body, or we rolled into a funny position with musculature during the night, or um, the out of body experience was associated with chakra activation detox, or you know, de- uh, blocking clearance and activation. So, um, chakra clearance and activation can lead to uh, waking up in the morning with certain musculature issues, it seems to me. Musculature, muscle tension, or muscle knot, or this or that, as well as all sorts of other things. So people, some spiritually minded people, many, are out of body at night more often than they know, doing things they don't remember, some of which includes um, solid uh, chakra transformation process and practice, some of which may lead to uh, issues with the body waking up in the morning. But for her, it seems that her being out of body um, made her body even more sensitive to touch, so somehow she got injury of the chest muscles from a little drop of a tie pin microphone. Anyway, um, there was a metaphysical component or it was associated with uh, time spa- an alteration of the time-space fields. And Ra, it seems, it wanted to cleanse it of negative entity. There might have been some negative entity attracted to the session because they hadn't been doing the ritual and even associated with her having a minor injury that the group didn't even realize from dropping the microphone, which is a tiny little thing, before the session or as it started. The negative entity may have been in the environment to try to um, exacerbate problems associated with that. They didn't even know had happened. So, there was a lot going on here. And, um, (coughs) the, again, one takeaway is if you're trying to purify space, even if you don't use it for working regularly, uh, some kind of ritual, white magical ritual may help. Of course, there are many ways to purify a space also, not just this ritual. 103.20, 103.20, the final exchange of the session. Don says, I don't want to overtire the instrument. We're running close to time. I will just ask if there's anything we can do to improve the contact or make the instrument more comfortable, or if there is anything else that has stayed at this time, that would aid us. Ross said, we find the alignments quite fastidiously observed. You are conscientious. Continue in support, one for the other. And find the praise and thanksgiving that harmony produces. Rest your cares and be merry. I am Ra, I leave you, glorying in the love and in the light of the one infinite creator. Go forth, therefore, rejoicing in the power and in the peace of the one infinite creator, Adonai. And um, so you see, even though they dropped this on her, um, by mistake, I guess, obviously, and hadn't been doing the ritual, um, Ross still says the alignments are fastidiously observed and they're conscientious. Uh, the only comment I make on this is that um, when they say rest your cares and be merry well <laughs> it's a lot easier said from an entity in sixth density than uh, performed by us here in 3D space-time and in a way it's um, naive. In a way it's it's pure advice. I have no, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. But um, it may be that, you know, they've given all sorts of other teaching and guidance to the group and Carla. And what more can they say? Uh, Be merry. But, you know, I don't think it's very, I don't really think it's possible to be merry on this planet, in this world, in space-time, frankly. I mean, one can be heartful, one can be caring one can um, feel joy regularly the joy of love the joy of being the joy of nature the joy of um, you know just consciousness itself in fact there is a joy to naked awareness awareness without distortion but (coughs) to be merry it just seems lame and um, Jack Lame and so uh, teaching from 6th <laughs> NCAA um doesn't factor in viscerally um, our visceral, visceral experience of being here they know it but they're not living it and that's a sort of an irony they can give us certain teaching and guidance that we can't get here you know It's not accidental that no human teacher is talking about the two paths in such detail. Because they either don't know it, or no one wants to hear it, or it might lead people astray. Uh, But most people don't know it. There's a tremendous load of teaching, this raw material, that is not available from any other teacher teaching on planet Earth. That's why, as I say, I think it's one of the most important spiritual transmissions since the time of Yeshua. 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 So, since the time of Jesus, I think that the raw material, without doubt, is one of the most important transmissions to humanity of spiritual teaching, of core spiritual teaching. No doubt. Um, And it's not for everyone, meaning it's difficult. And um, those of us who love it um, will say that, yes, it's less distorted than most other spiritual transmissions. Or... It's full of non-distorted, essential metaphysical truth and teaching of truth. And other people will say, you're crazy, or it's bullshit, or bop, ba bop, bop, bop. You know, it's the raw evil sun god Ra. Okie dokie. Have a good day, bro. And so, okay. <laughs> uh, Ra, from the beginning, said they're offering truth without proof. Metaphysical teaching, to whatever degree it's true, can't be proven certainly not in this dimension. Um, but uh, there's also a limit to how well they can grok our angst. And that's why we come. <laughs> that's why we're here. To feel the angst that we could only grok mentally, spiritually up there before being here. So down here in carne, uh, 3D space-time, Uh, we can really feel the pain of being here. We couldn't upstairs. (laughs) And that's why we, they, made a mistake, or made many mistakes in technology transfers through the centuries and didn't seem to learn too well. Um, This is not a world of being merry. We can certainly rest our cares. But to be merry, I think, is really dopey. (laughs) Only a dope would try to be merry it just doesn't work because there's too much pain in humanity in the world today. Jesus was called the man of sorrows. Gautama, no. Gautama was called the happy one, but he wasn't happy dappy. (laughs) So, Yeshua, the man of sorrows, a perfected green ray, uh, adept, something like that. Yes, I think you could say that. And Gautama, seeming to me, like Nityananda, um, a completed being um at one with all uh, called the happy one um was not happy in a merry way but in a way of known knowing that what what has what needs to have what needs to be done has been completed evolution of the octave their completion their he and Nityanan are completed in my view completed the work of soul evolution. Different than what Yeshua represented and taught. Different than raw material. So, the core teachings of Yeshua, <laughs> the core teachings of Gautama, the core teachings of Nityananda, Nityananda of Ganesh Puri, um, and a little bit of Taoism, uh, Dao, and a little bit you know, of Tan uh, and uh, some other fellows along the way. And um, the raw material... Uh, we'll take you all the way <laughs> if you apply it, if we apply it. it's um, This is a, I mean, precious, the raw material and Gautama teachings together to me. Uh, and so, anyway, I hope you've understood and appreciate this. And um, go forth and be merry. Next session 104, uh, what we see is 100% personal material that was put into Book 5, 26 exchanges um, all about the LNL group process, um, particularly guidance for Carla and maintenance of the contact. We see the development of trouble with their cats. We see development of the trouble with Don. And uh, <coughs> Karen Carpenter was back home. She left in between sessions 101 and 102. And Karen Carpenter, yes, that Karen Carpenter, um, I must say, I believe was Carla's sister from Sixth Density, and um, happened to write a song, just for all of you specialists. Um, Karen Carpenter, yes, that Karen Carpenter died in February 83, between sessions one hundred two, one hundred one, one hundred two, sang a cover of the call of a song called "Calling Occupants of Interplanetary Craft." Calling occupants of interplanetary interplanetary craft, um, saying we are your friends, or actually, the, the line is from them: "We've been observing our Earth, and we'd like to make contact with you. We are your friends, and." Um, She, Karen Carpenter, sings, and uh, please come in peace, we beseech you. Only a landing will teach them our earth may never survive. So do come, we beg you. Please, interstellar policemen, oh, won't you give us a sign? Give us a sign that we've reached you. Only a landing will teach them our earth may never survive. Karen Carpenter. calling occupants of interplanetary craft in the, the middle 70s. How about that? So, I wish you well. Next time, we'll pick up at session 104. Um, take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.